this life? Who are we that we get to be in a retreat, listen to your word, reflect on your word, be in fellowship, God, and learn about you? Who are we that you want us to know you and you want to walk with us? God, we're so grateful that we get this life, God. We are grateful for Mackenzie and Latoya, and I pray that you fill them with your spirit this morning, God. And whatever you want to speak to us, I pray that your message really comes through them. Soften our hearts. Help us to uh, tune down our own, our own opinions and tune up our listening ears. God, help us to really listen to what you have to say to us this morning. We love you. We thank you in all of this in your son's name. Amen. Okay, so cool fun fact. So I was part of the campus ministry in Atlanta um, starting in 2007. That's when I was met. Became, uh, 2008 is when I became a disciple. But when we first started coming to this particular retreat, having fall retreats, it was about 30 people. So it is so cool to see that we usually get to about 300 now consistently. So this is, uh, this is like my t- Kindle counted. This is our 21st time. Uh, but, you know, we're still in the Southeast. We love the, South- the Southeast. We love the ministry. Um, so grateful I get to do this for a living. Um, you know, one thing, um, it's just been cool to continue to see these fall retreats evolve. Um, to see so many different types of people come out, see us do different things. So, and now I'm just excited to share kind of my heart, and then uh, the title of this whole class, The Heart of a Queen. Um, And by looking at uh, some aspects of David's life. So, um, you know, what I'm going to share is straight up what I've been learning. Um, I've actually uh, been in counseling, just trying to go back, because we all struggle in life. So, I'm like, this is my counselor speaking to y'all. Like... That's how I feel. Um, taking everything from him. But, uh, but I'm going to pray again. So uh, let's pray for a second. Uh, Heavenly Father, it's so easy to uh, get jittery up here and feel weird. Um, God, I just want you to take full control of uh, mine and Latoya's lesson, Father. And open up all of our hearts to hear your word and to hear the great example of David. Amen. Amen. All right. This is a quote by Theodore Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives violently, who errs, who comes who comes short again and again, because there is no effort without error or shortcoming. But who does actually, I'm sorry, this is a small print. But who does best known in the, oh my gosh. (laughs) But who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with the cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Are you in the arena of life? Are you daring greatly? 
David lived in the arena of life. He didn't cheer in the stands, criticize people's attempts, or even focus on what should have been better. David had victories and David had failures. The heart of the queen is in the arena of life. How do we live in the arena of life? When we spend our lives waiting until we're perfect or bulletproof before we walk into the arena, we ultimately sacrifice relationships and opportunities that may not be recoverable. We squander our precious time. We turn our backs on our gifts, those unique contributions that only we can make. The arena of life, to live the arena of life, we can't wait to be perfect. But rather choose to be honest, choose to be vulnerable. David was vulnerable. David's prayers, poems, and songs toward God is shown through the book of Psalms. It's easy to think, well, this is just what David was good at. But this can be our aim in the culture of our prayers and poems and songs to God. The book of Psalm has an example of every emotion and expression toward God. There's trust, praise, fear, devotion, sorrow, God's power, history, anger at injustice, for God to act, to gather, to lament, and thanksgiving. So turn to one, Psalm 109. And let's look at an example of a prayer. We're going to read the whole thing. So sit up. My God, whom I praise, do not remain silent. For people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They have spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. But I am a man of prayer. They repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. Appoint someone evil to oppose my enemy. Let an accuser stand at his right hand. When he is tired, let him be found guilty. And may his prayers condemn him. May his days be few. May another take his place of leadership. May his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. May his children be wandering beggars. May they be driven from their ruined homes. May a creditor seize all he has. May strangers plunder the fruits of his labor. May no one extend kindness to him or take pity on his fatherless children. May his descendants be cut off. Their names blotted out from the next generation. May the iniquity of the fathers be remembered before. May the iniquity of his fathers be remembered before the Lord. May the sin of his mother never be blotted out. May the sins always remain before the Lord, that he may blot out their name from the earth. For he never thought of doing kindness, but hounded to death the poor and the needy and the brokenhearted. He loved to pronounce a curse. May it come back on him. He found no pleasure in blessing. May it be far from him. He wore cursing as his garment. It entered into his body like water, into his bones like oil. May it be like a cloak wrapped around him, like a belt tied forever around him. May this be the Lord's payment to my accusers, to those who speak evil of me. But you, sovereign Lord, help me for your name's sake. Out of the goodness of your love, deliver me. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is wounded within me. 
I fade away like an evening shadow. I am shaken off like a locust. My knees give way from fasting. My body is thin. I am an object of scorn to my accusers. When they see me, they shake their heads. Help me, Lord. My God, save me according to your unfailing love. Let them know that it is your hand that you, Lord, have done it. While they curse, may you bless. May those who attack me be put to shame. But may your servant rejoice. May my accusers be clothed with disgrace and wrapped in shame as in a cloak. With my mouth, I will greatly extol the Lord. In the great throng of worshipers, I will praise him. For he stands at the right hand of the needy to save their lives from those who would condemn them. Let's just ask, who judged David while hearing this song? You know, like, whoa, that's a bit harsh. You know, uh, let your children be fatherless. Let your wife be a widow. You know, I'm like, calm down, David. Is it really that bad? (laughs) Or maybe you thought, David, you should filter your thoughts. You can't say that. We are disciples. We can't have these thoughts. God is creator of the universe. You should not say that. He will strike you down. There should be no secrets with God. And with David, there weren't. There cannot be any secrets with God. God can handle your worst. He can handle your anger. Are you sharing your worst with God? I believe we are too afraid to be real. Too afraid to share everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly. When we disown those ugly parts, those challenging parts of our life, just to appear better or more acceptable, we will not have the ability to give our whole heart to God. Because your whole heart includes all of the experiences, including the failures. When we aren't real, we leave our story in the dark. We leave our experience untold. We leave the truth behind. We listen to the pretensions of the evil one. Do you know what a pretension is? It's when something is pretending to be true. And that is what the evil one does. I want to ask you guys a question. And you can respond. What are some lies, some pretensions that you listen listen to in your head? Maybe some negative tapes. Um, I know one for me, I'm like, I've got too much sin. I can't talk to God right now. You know, or, or even like, you know, saying like, you're going to pray. What do you have to offer? What have you done this week? You want to be a leader? That will never happen for you. People hurt you? Probably your fault. Anybody else have some lies or constantly rolling tapes in their head? Anybody? Yeah. Ah, yeah, that's real. Uh, yeah. My sin is too bad for God for anyone else to love me. Yes. Wow, real talk. Way back there. So I've actually been totally disappointed in me the whole time, and once I bring this out, it's all going to come out. Mm, wow, yeah. You know, when we listen to these lies, we're just trying to work for people to see if we're worthy enough. <laughs> this isn't about you being worthy. Jesus died for you to clear your sin. It's done. God has pursued you endlessly. It's time to pursue him back. Daily. Allow your raw feelings to come out. I think what David did so well is 
He gave a voice to his anger. He gave his voice for the desire of vengeance, but he never pursued it. This is a quote by Brene Brown. It says, vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up and be seen when we have no control over the outcome. Vulnerability is not weakness. It's our greatest measure of courage. I mean, I would never want like my prayers sometimes to be read by people. Um, and David gets his prayers read all the time. <laughs> and he says some crazy stuff. I'm like, whoa. He's like demanding God. That's what always gets me. He's like, God, you should be doing this. And I'm like, I don't think you can say that. <laughs> but that's what we're tricked. You know, Satan just, he's constantly tricked us. He tricked us in the Garden of Eden, and he's tricking us now. You know, and David's prayers weren't all about praise. I think that's another thing. I think we just want to say, okay, God, it's amazing. You're great. I should remember that. You know, no, no. He, he lamented Psalm 51. He knew how when he messed up. Psalm 45, calling God to act. Psalm 100, thanksgiving. You know, this is not a Psalm of David, but uh, Psalm 137, uh, the people are going, they're traveling to Babylon. And they're like, we cannot sing praises because of what's happening right now. Like, that's, that's they were feeling stuff. You know, and there's so many more examples, obviously. But God, um, but David knew God. He knew that he was loved by God. He knew he was accepted. He knew God was not going to disown him, abandon him. And nothing was going to change that. He knew that. So there should be more than just songs of praise to God. There should be a space for you to cry out. Always a place and a time for any kind of worship you need. What space are you creating in your prayers to God? So I'm going to share. It would not be fitting for me not to be vulnerable. Um, so this is a prayer I wrote last night. So it's, it's pretty raw. Um, and I'm a little nervous to share it because I'm trying to embody David. Um, God, I have chosen you, so why do I feel that every day is a battle to believe I have chosen you? I have been sucked into the world's thinking. Nothing is free. I must work for everything. You want love? Earn it. Every day I feel like I have to prove myself or be perfect to believe I have chosen you. It's like once I've messed up, no matter the level in my mind, I'll tell myself, well, looks like you didn't really want this or you wouldn't have messed up. Also, I'm really tired of feeling like people are watching me every single move and waiting for me to mess up and judge me off of that one mess up. I hate that I just want to be liked by everyone. God, I fall apart when I hurt people. Why can't I give myself grace? God, I feel so inadequate because I can hear or fear that people have things against church, campus ministry, leadership, or even me. But no one brings it up to me. To work through it as if I'm unapproachable or think I won't change. And then I put my identity in what they think of me. God, I want to be like Paul in 1 Corinthians 4 when he says, I care very little if I'm judged by you. For I have a judge. To care about what God thinks. To care what you think most, God. God, I know I fall short and I know I will hurt people. So please show up in my life. I'm so weak without you. My ways don't work and are pretty miserable even trying to live them out. 
God, I will choose you. Each day you give me will be a new one and a chance to choose you. Father, here's my heart. Take it and mold it. Those are pretty much what I feel every day, all day. And, you know, being vulnerable, just it takes a lot of courage. Um, it's easy to feel beyond insecure of what people think of me. I always tell them I'm the most insecure human being on the face planet. I firmly believe that. Um, and so being vulnerable is something I've constantly wanted to kind of dive into. And I think for a time I was really good at it. And then a uh, transition happens, whether you move different schools, different states. I've got married. I've had two kids. And transition is just, just I'm not going to be vulnerable. I'm just overwhelmed or whatever. But when we are vulnerable, change happens. You know, vulnerability will be uncomfortable, hands down. And it is uncomfortable at real to be, but it's going to take um, courage and not comfort. A lot of times we want to feel comfortable sharing things. But you, you can't have both. And you cannot have them at the same time. So it's never going to be comfortable being vulnerable at all. You know, when we aren't real, when we aren't vulnerable, we aren't being truthful. You know, and I think our intent isn't to like, I'm going to deceive you right now, or I'm going to be a liar, but we aren't practicing the truth. You know, start practicing being truthful. Share your raw feelings. You know, this will take being brave and afraid every single minute at the exact time. When you are brave and afraid, you go for it. You will live in the arena of life. And take chances for God no matter what the outcome is. Because it's hard to help a liar. God cannot help us if we don't say anything. The people in your lives cannot help you if you are not truthful. So start today. Vulnerability takes time. You're not going to wake up and just be like, wow, I'm so good at being vulnerable. I'm not sure that will ever happen. Um, because I will never feel that, like, excited to be vulnerable. <laughs> um, start sharing your whole story. Don't leave your story in the dark. Don't leave your story untold, your experience. It will help someone. I promise you that. Practice being truthful. Choose to be brave and afraid all the time. Find those people you feel safe with. Who, you know, let your prayers out to God. Let your prayers be a voice for every single emotion and expression of your heart. And trust me, your walk with God will be immovable. You will be immovable. You know, and I think, obviously, Latoya's going to come up. And this woman is as real as it gets, in my opinion. Uh, she's very vulnerable. And her, she's, we're like our, I, you know, I feel like I can say this. We're each other's people. So uh, we say some really crazy stuff to each other. Uh, <laughs> And that's okay. We need to find those people. We can't, not every, not, we all can't be each other's people. There's just a lot going on. Um, but I'm so grateful for LaToya. I'm so grateful for how vulnerable and real she is. That she is brave and afraid all the time, at the same time. So I just want to encourage you to really open up your heart to what she's going to say. Because I've read it already and it's really great. <laughs>
I adore her, and um, gosh, you're great. Um, Mac is someone that I respect a ton. She is my person for ministry and marriage and parenthood and everything. I feel like I would love to just be in your ministry. I want to be your intern. I want to be your Bible talk leader. I want to be discipled by you. Like, seriously, Mac actually disciples me. That's what it means to have a person. It means that she knows my junk. Sometimes I'm like, I'll box Mac, and I'm like, I really hope Kindle's not a <laughs> um, But I trust that you don't, you know, share it public. Um, but yeah, anyway, I love you. I, for those of you who are in Nashville, you have gold. You have gold. You have gold. Please. I love you. Okay, I'm here. Um, so we're talking about the heart of a queen. And fun fact, to brief it a little bit, um, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia State. <laughs> while I was a student at Georgia State, I used to participate in pageants. And so in the idea of talking about the heart of a queen, I've actually been crowned queen twice in my life. Yeah. So once as a junior in college, I was Miss Black and Gold, which is a scholarship pageant that came with $1,000, so amen. Um, and then my senior year, I was homecoming queen at Georgia State, so that was also really cool. And both times, whenever you're crowned queen, there's something that they really emphasize, and it's your posture. Like, you've never seen Miss America like, go ahead, just, you know, like, when you're crowned queen, they want you to stand really tall. They want your crown to really, you know, hold high. Um, but you know where those two crowns are right now? They're in the trash. They're in the garbage. Those, those crowns mean nothing to me. Those crowns are literally, Paul says, I consider everything garbage. You know, it's that. <laughs> those two trash cans. Those, trash, those uh, crowns are garbage. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 9 that earthly crowns will perish. But there is a crown that will last forever. And that crown is our spiritual crown. You know, those times were fun and I got cool pictures and got to be on a Georgia State Flyer. And it was all cute, right? But those things didn't matter. This crown matters. This crown of my faith is the most important crown to me. And it's the most important crown to you, I believe. That's why you're here. And um, God offers us crowns. He offers us crowns of faith. And I want to talk about how to have a spiritual posture that allows us to live a life committed to our king. And a posture is just the way that you handle something. It's an approach. It's an attitude. It's a particular way of dealing with things. And there is a word that we're going to talk about today that I think is crucial if you are going to have a spiritual posture that lasts forever. And it's a word that we really don't like. So I'm sorry to break it to you, but we're about to go there. Okay, that word is sacrifice. We don't like that word, but that's, that's crucial. It's, a, it's impossible to have a walk with God without sacrifice. And um, I, I came up with an, an idea of what I thought it meant. A lot of stuff up here. Uh, to sacrifice, and I define sacrifice as the giving up of something you love for the benefit of something else. But then I looked at Google, and, go, and Google was a little bit more like, whoa, intense. Sacrifice is the act of slaughtering an animal or person or surrendering a possession as an offering to God. That's a little bit more intense, right? That word slaughtering is not very welcoming. Um, but it makes you think of Abraham when he was told to sacrifice his son. You can write down Genesis 22, verse 2. God says, hey, Abraham, sacrifice your son, your only son, the one that you love. And in my mind, I'm like, first of all, Abraham only had one son. So why did God have to be so specific? Like, if you were to come up to me and be like, hey, where's your son? I wouldn't be like, which one? The one I love or like the only one? Like, I only have one, you know? And so I think God made it clear to Abraham that he knew what he was asking was a lot. He's like, hey, I'm about to ask you for something big. I'm going to ask you for your son. You know, the only son. 
you know, the one you love. You know, he's like, what is about to come is going to be a sacrifice. And that's the nature of sacrifice. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to be a loss. Um, and David was a man who sought sacrifice. Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 24. Basically what's happened is David, is, David has basically sinned. He's done something that displeased God. Um, and he's in the process of trying to reconcile it. And so as a result of his decision, the nation of Israel is under a plague. And he's trying to do something to lift the plague off the people because of a decision that he made. So in 2 Samuel 24, I'm going to read verses 17 through 25. Remember, he's trying to get rid of this plague and he's, try, he's trying to take action to basically express his sorrow for what he's done. And he, he goes to this man named Aruna. I might be pronouncing that wrong, but it says in verse 17, And Aruna said, Why has my lord the king come to his servant? David said, to buy the threshing floor from you in order to build an altar to the Lord that the plague may be averted from the people. Then Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer what seems good to him. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering and the threshing sledges and the yokes from the oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Aruna gives to you. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. But David the king said to Aruna, no, I insist on paying you for it. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God, that which costs me nothing. So David brought the threshing floor from the, and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Here, David insisting, insisted on sacrificing something that cost him. He desired to sacrifice it because he had a deep respect and reverence for God. You know, I believe that a proper view of God comes with an understanding of what it costs to be in relationship with him. We are human and he is God. To be with him requires kind of that genuine faith that Matt talked about that's willing to go there and deal with ourselves. And David insisted on sacrifice. You know, if you're like me, you love a good sale. I love when things are on discount, especially if you go to the checkout and things are cheaper than you thought it already was. You're like, thank you, God, you love me, right? I would have totally taken up this guy on this offer. I'm like, God's giving me a discount on my sacrifice. Thank you, appreciate it, sale, okay, like didn't think twice about it. David thought, no, God deserves more of me. I am not going to give God something that didn't cost me anything. I want, I insist, I refuse to take anything short of giving God something that hurts. I refuse to give God anything short of something that is a loss to me. So what about us? What is something that we can seek to sacrifice? You know, if you're anything like me, which you probably are, the most valuable thing to you is you. You are the most important thing in your life to you. Your version of truth, your version of reality, what you want, all of that matters to you more than anything. And, and that's what I want us to call us to sacrifice. I want us to sacrifice our own will, our own perspective, our own desires, in order to take on God's truth. Because in, in a lot of ways, when we matter most, everything we do is for us. We dress good because, you know, we want to be cute or want to be comfortable or we study really hard because we want a good grade so we can get that good job. Like, it all comes back to us, right? We never stand up for what we really believe because what will people think? We're selective about who we open up our lives to because, you know, that's my business. We handle our romantic life because it makes me happy. He sees me in a special way. Or sometimes we even go to church so that people can see us as a spiritual woman. We want to be seen, you know, and that's, the list can go on. You know, grotesque sin probably won't take you ladies out. It's not going to be that you're this intense, like, oh, I'm just crazy and I don't want anything to do with God. I'm an atheist. That's probably not 
most of us, right? What will stop most of us is a self-obsession of ourselves. Being so obsessed with your own priorities and your own image leaves no room for you to be obsessed with God's word. It leaves no room for you to be obsessed with God's desires. And that's where sacrifice comes in. One has to go. You either sacrifice your will for God's or you sacrifice God's will for yours. You can't have both and you, you won't have both. And sometimes we can even think we have both. It's like I have God's will and a little bit of mine in there. But the nature of God is that he does not share his glory. So if any part of you is in there, he's like, no, I'm out. I don't share. Like, I know where I'm going. We're, we're, you are so different than me that if you lead yourself, we will go opposite directions. You have to make a choice, right? So in first, my first thing I want us, there's two areas that I want us to have a posture of sacrifice in that I really think, and I'll kind of share a little bit later of why this is important to me, but I really think it'll help us be faithful the rest of our lives. The first one is to sacrifice the idea that Christianity is about you. Sacrifice the idea that Christianity is about you. In Matthew 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. When is the last, someone, last time someone said, hey, if you don't do this, you will not go to heaven? That's a strong statement. Jesus told them to even enter the kingdom. You cannot be like the Pharisee. And what was the deal with the Pharisees? They were good people, right? They knew the law. The Pharisees were obsessed with how they were perceived by man. Their image was their God rather than God being their God. And David wasn't like that at all. I loved looking through David's life because I'm like, wow, he really just, he just was present. He took life in stride. You can jot down some of these fun examples I found. In 1 Samuel 17, David gets the opportunity to fight Goliath and the king tries to give him his armor. David tries on the armor of a king. What an honor. And David's like, actually, no, this ain't me. I'm gonna grab some stones. Like, the king is like, what? <laughs> but David knew what he could handle. He was honest about it. He didn't try to pretend, oh, I can do what you do. He did what he knew was best for him. First Samuel 21, David is scared to go before a king who knows that he's had victories over Saul. So what does he do? He starts acting like a crazy man. The Bible says he's drooling. And it says that he has a sword and he's like slashing the walls, like trying to. And the guy, the king is like, why'd you bring this crazy man to me? I don't want to deal with him. But David is trying to get out of having to interact with this guy he's afraid of. And so instead of being like, I can handle it, I can handle it, he's like, okay, I'm, you know, like, and the king is like, get out of here. Like, what are you doing? In, Sam, in 2 Samuel 6, David wanted to worship God so intensely that he danced his clothes off. And people around him were actually embarrassed. Like, it talks about how people were, like, ashamed of him because he was praising God so hard. When's the last time in church they were like, sis, chill? <laughs> you know, like he wanted to praise God and show thanks no matter what it costs. In 2 Samuel 12, David was devastated over his sin when a spiritual companion brought it to him. He was the king and he fasted and he wept so much so in his throne that the servants were worried about him. The king is crying in front of the servants. That's weird. That's not, that's not normal, right? David took his highs and lows in stride and he walked in the light because he was convinced that God's love for him was not attached to his performance. In Psalms 9, David says, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. He knew that. Do you 
Not do you feel it, do you feel like, oh, God will never abandon me because, you know, he's nice. No, do you know it? Are you confident in it? In my house growing up, my mom was not a fan of us asking why. Hey, we're about to leave. Oh, why? She'd be like, because I said so. (laughs) Period, I said what I said, you know? God is like that. Maybe not with all the, like, you know, tood, right? But God is, like, trustworthy. He's like, I said I am not going to leave you. I didn't say, I'm not going to leave you as long as you. He said, I'm not going to leave you. He promised you that. Do you know that? God has declared his commitment to you and his unfailing love to you, but are you listening? The gospel message is good news because it's not about you. It's about God being good. We need more women who are radically freed in God's love for them rather than women who are radically busy trying to be loved by God. You already are. We have to sacrifice this idea that our goodness determines God's love for us. Or in the end, remember we said we can't have both, we either sacrifice that idea or we will sacrifice our, our crowns. One or the other. They will not coexist. So are you a Pharisee? Let's check, right? Because if we want to enter the kingdom of heaven, this is something we need to be solid on. Are you more in tune with how your family and friends perceive your marriage to God than how God is experiencing your marriage to him? Are you confident that you're even married to God? Or are you so sure that you're a spiritual woman that you've never even gone to the word to double check? I call you to check with your king. Make sure that you are the wife that you think you are in his eyes. I wouldn't ask you to tell me what kind of wife I am. There's only one man on this earth that can answer that question. His name is Jordan Massey. Your opinion in my marriage, it won't matter because he's my husband. You need to check with God and say, hey, king, where are we? And his word will tell you. We just need to listen to it, right? And sometimes his word will tell us things we don't want to hear. But it ha- we have to know that it has to be rooted in the fact that he loves us no matter what he's telling us. Like, I'm going to tell Cam no a bunch. When I tell him no or when I tell him to stop or when I discipline, then in that moment, do you think I still love him? Of course so, right? We wouldn't question it. But sometimes when God gives us direction, we, think, we take it as like, oh, you don't love me right now. I, he's like, I just wanted to pick you back up. Let's just keep walking, you know? His love is never, ever going to leave you. You have got to sacrifice your own view and take on God's. Stop disagreeing with God in order to agree with yourself. You have got to listen to what the scripture says. And the good news is that he already decided that you're worthy. He already decided that he loves you. No matter what happens, he's already decided. And because I'm a Marvel weirdo, I'm going to quote Nick Fury. There's this moment in Avengers where Nick Fury is having to give an account for a decision that Thor made. And the guys are like, why did you let him do that? It's like, why, why would he take the Tesseract is what it really is. And Nick Fury goes, you know what? I didn't make the decision. I just didn't disagree with the God that did. We don't get to choose if we're worth it or not. We don't get to choose if we're loved by not. We just are. And we can't disagree with God. Amen, ladies? So let's, let's sacrifice our own view that our, our performance de- you know, depends on God's love. The second thing I want us to sacrifice is to die to the idea that this walk with God is supposed to be easy. John Legend has a song. If you know it, sing it with me. All of me loves all of you. Right? We're like, oh, you're so sweet. Oh, my God, love me. Right? But then with God, sometimes we go, some. 
So you, like, there's this idea that it's not all in, you know, that it's not everything. We can do that to God all the time, but with other stuff, we give ourselves fully to a guy, to school, when we're trying to start up our Instagram followers, we give it everything we have. But some, for some reason, when God wants all of us, we doubt his love for us, and we doubt his compassion, and we start to question his motives. Mac mentioned fighting in the arena. We have to be honest about those thoughts. Hey, God, when you ask me to do this, I don't like it. It makes me not trust you. We have to be honest. Because giving up your worldview and your view of yourself for God's and then actually living it out, it will require every ounce of you. And it won't happen by accident. But guess what, ladies? God deserves that. God deserves those moments where it hurts because you're sacrificing. God deserves those moments where you are denying those thoughts because you were like, that is not true. Right? And I want to read an example of a woman who did that. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. So this is, I would love to read the whole chapter, but I can't because it's very long. But please go back and read it at some point. It's amazing. Basically, um, Abigail is a woman who is married to Nabal. What did you answer that question? Go you for knowing your Bibles and getting candy. I love the fact that Lizzie was like, I want to throw candy. And she's like, what? You know, it's so fun. Um, but in 1 Samuel 25, we see, so basically what's happening, long story short, is David is going to send his messengers to Nabal to say, hey, when you guys needed help, we took care of you. Now we need help. Can we get some grain? Can we get some bread? Kind of, his men are coming to turn in a favor. And they go to Nabal and ask for this favor. Hey, they, you know, King David wants to know if we could have da-da-da-da because when you guys needed something, we helped you. And Nabal, whose name literally means fool, if you read it, he literally is like, who are you? I don't trust you. I'm not giving you my stuff kind of thing. He basically rejects them. So the servants go back to David and they say, hey, he said, no, he's not trying to help us. David, being David, takes 400 men with swords and goes basically about to roll up on Nabal's house because he's like, I asked for a favor. You said no. And now David's like, I'm going to take vengeance into my own hands. And we know David has a lot of feelings. We just read. He's like, well, I hate you. You know, so he's got he's about to come up and one of the servants in the home hear about it. And they go tell Abigail, his wife. So they're like, oh, my God, David came in to get a favor. Your husband said no, and now they're on their way to kill us all. So we're in 1 Samuel chapter 25. We're gonna, I'm going to jump around. I'm going to read verse 18 through 21. It says, this is after Abigail heard what happened. Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five seas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisin, and 200 cakes of pressing fig, pressed figs, and loaded them on the donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. She's like a little sneaky. As she came riding her donkey into the, into the mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. So she's, she's acting quickly. She's like, oh, snap, I got I to gotta do something about this. So she gets all this stuff. And then in verse 23, it says, when Abigail, when Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. This was very risky. I mean, homegirl is like with donkeys and all these, like all this food. And these guys have, I mean, 400 men with swords. And these David's mighty men were not like, oh, hi. They were like, we're about to kill people, right? This was, and this was really humbling. It says her face is on the ground. Like, I'm so sorry, King. Like, can you listen to me? And he could have said no. He could have killed her on the spot. So she she talks to him. Go back and read it. It's an amazing story. She talks to him, and in verse 32, 
David said to Abigail, praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your discernment and good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet me, no male belonging to Nabal would have been alive by the end of the night. He meant business, right? He had, he had every intention. But Abigail was resourceful. She was shrewd. She acted quickly. She was discerning. She saved the day. And she was careful about the way she approached the king, right? She didn't hesitate. She saw what was on the line, and she decided to get into the arena. What about us? What can we do in situations like this? This is what I can sometimes feel. Sometimes when I get bad news, I accept defeat before I even consider that victory is an option with God. Because my faith is too weak to even think victory is possible. Whether it be with my family or my own character, I'm like, well, I guess we're all about to die. You know, like just totally accepting it. Or we get, or sometimes I can get up to fight and I want to fight in faith, but then I realize how much I have to do. I realize how much work it's going to take to actually be a faithful woman and I'm like, I guess I should sit back down because I don't have time. I'm not, that's doing the most. I'm not trying. And then sometimes your friends are like, why are you doing all that? It's not that big a deal. Your purity, like, just relax, chill. It's just this. It's just that. All these boundaries. Relax. Doing the most, right? Other times we see that we might have to ask for help in order to fight faithfully. And out of fear of being a burden or being seen as weak, we try to fight alone, but then we get defeated because we weren't supposed to do it on our own. Write down Hebrews 10, verse 38 and 39. It says, But my righteous one shall live by faith. We are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but we are those who have faith and preserve our souls. The posture of a queen is not one who shrinks back. Abigail had the posture of the queen. She was, she was ready to find a way with what God had given her. And she might have gone out with a fight, but she was going to fight. The posture of humility, even. She looked stupid. Let's be honest. You're like, you got donkeys and bread, and you're on your face before these guys with swords. Like, shouldn't you have grabbed a weapon? Like, this doesn't make any sense. You will not fit in if you try to live faithfully the way the world expects you to. These two areas of my life are really, like, hard for me because I've had to fight this over and over and over. This idea that my spiritual image and my willingness to fight go hand in hand. And it can kind of seem contradictory. It's like, okay, Latoya, the first point is it's not about me. Then the second point is i got to do my best. (laughs) What? You know? But at the end of the day, it's freeing to understand that it's not about me because God's love doesn't change. And because God's love doesn't change, it motivates me to do my best, right? And I want to share with you, my first year as a disciple was really, really hard. Um, I cried a lot. I cried a ton because before I became a disciple, this sounds crazy, but this is my truth, vulnerability, right? I was very religious. My mom is a minister. I grew up going to church. I was an assistant youth pastor. I used to preach all the time. I had all these accolades, right? And so in my mind, it made sense that Jesus died for me because I was a good person. And all my friends around me were doing way worse things. So for me, I felt like, yeah, God died for me because I, I deserve it. And that sounds disgusting to say out loud, but that's how I felt, right? And then I became a disciple and my sin got put in my face. I can no longer act like it wasn't there. I can no longer not call it sin. It's like, oh, I just like to be independent, or that's just, you know, haha, I joke sometimes and I'm sarcastic. It's just how I am. I was held accountable for the first time by women who looked past the spiritual resume and said, who are you inside there? What's going on in your heart? And the stuff I found was disgusting. My arrogance, my pride, my desire to be impure, my idols, 
they were a sickness and not something I could make light of anymore. They were not something I could take and just keep with me anymore. And because I knew my sin so well, I struggled to believe that God actually loved me. Because before I deserved it, but now I know I don't. And I remember one time leaving a devotional and inside, I mean, I was raging. I was jealous with this sister. I was so upset. I wanted this attention of this brother and she got it. And I, was, I had all these feelings and I was driving home. I literally hated myself. I was on the highway. I pulled over on the side of the highway and I cried. And I thought, God, I cannot do this discipleship thing. I can't do it. This is really hard. Like, I hate myself. I hate my sinful nature. I hate what I have to offer. I, like, as I'm learning about me, I don't like what I'm finding. I would much rather be comfortable and get out of the arena and be the girl who I thought was good. She's safer. She's not sitting on the side of the road crying. I, I wanted to flee, and it, it was going to take everything in me to let God convince me that he still loved me regardless of what I had going on. These last 10 years have literally required every piece of me. Having faith for my family, being told no by God in areas that really matter to me, suffering heartbreaking loss. This 10 years has been the hardest 10 years of my life internally because it has required me to show up. And Mac is right, I'm always scared. I was shaking before I walked up here. I am always terrified. But God is like, I know and I'm, I got you. You can't wait till you're not terrified to be faithful. Be faithful now. <laughs> Learn how to be faithful while you're terrified. It's interesting because I wanted to be able to earn God's love. And the more I had to face my sinful nature, the more I thought I'll never be able to be good enough. But that's when the good news got really good to me. And the more I understood the real good news, the more it inspired me to fight. Confronting your sin is going to be risky. It is going to be hard. It is going to be scary. Asking yourself, hey, am I actually married to God? That is a scary sentence in the South. But when we do, the good news gets that much better and it gets that much sweeter. David said in Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Ladies, our job is not to be good enough to be loved. The good news is that the Lord is good. And he's offering us a chance for us to sacrifice our own performance-driven lifestyle to live a life of a faithful crown. Amen. That was awesome. Thank you guys so much. Let's give them another round of applause. sharing so vulnerably and from your hearts. Um, I'm just super convicted to really um, just reflect on my own relationship with God and, um, and be vulnerable with God with where I'm at. Um, I want so badly to be in the arena fighting, but um, I think sometimes I can, myself can get in the way. And um, So I was just really impacted um, thinking about that my goodness and what I do does not change the way that God sees me, um, and it's not about me, and I need to move myself aside and be motivated by what God has done for me um, and why I'm living this life. Um, so thank you guys both for your vulnerability. Um, we have a few announcements. Um, so right after this class, um, we will be going to breakout classes. So those will be starting at 11, so um, just quickly make your way to where you want to go. Um, there's a schedule on the, or there's a 
descriptions on the back of your schedule. So just look and that'll tell you where you're supposed to be um, and what each class is about. And then lunch will start at 1230 um, right after the breakout classes. And if you're interested in the lip sync battle or you know you're already a part of that, there is a meeting on the porch at 1230. And there are still open spots for the counseling corner. Um, so if you're interested in that, um, see LaToya or McKenzie right after this class. Um, and then there'll be free time this afternoon following lunch. Um, dinner will be at 5 o'clock in the cafeteria. And the main session will be starting at 6.15. Um, and let's go ahead and pray to close out. And then we can make our way to breakout classes. So let's pray. Um, Father God, thank you so, so much um, just that we get to be here in your presence, um, that we get to be together to learn um, more about you and your character um, so that we can be um, better stewards of your word and um, just better, um, just disciples um, of you, God. I'm so grateful that um, you love us and that you made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And I just pray that um, that we can really uh, look at our own hearts and um, just be motivated um, by the love that you have for us to be vulnerable with you, to be open um, and real with where we're at um, so that you can mold us and, um, and just call us and, and bring us closer to you and um, just to be better um, servants for you, God. And just pray that this weekend can be a time of refreshment, a time that we can um, just draw near to you and draw near to one another so that we can grow um, as women um, who love you deeply. Um, and vulnerably. God, we love you so much, and we just pray that you um, just speak to the rest of the speakers that we'll be, that we'll be hearing on um, the rest of the weekend, that we can really have open, soft hearts um, that want to grow. Um, we love you so much, and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.